Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye. Uh, we have a full program today, and we're going to start off with a success story. And it just so happens that one of the people that's going to be on the second part of the program, the main part, uh, former state representative attorney Jesse Weinberry, plays right into this first story with Lewis Rudd, who is uh, the owner and founder of Hazel's Famous Chicken. And uh, this week uh, on the Seattle Medium, there's a front page article with uh, Darnell, uh, Darnell Rudd, uh, their sister, Faye Stevens, and, and Lewis. Uh, and they are the owners of Ezel's Famous Chicken. And if you think they're just on 23rd and Jefferson, you have another thought coming. They're in about 15 different locations, uh, and they're also in Oregon. And I think they were hooking something up in Dubai. But uh, in addition to being successful in this business, Lewis uh, has found uh, his way and his family of giving back. And they've created a program called Raising Up Black Businesses and have that, a, a very strategic strategist working with them, Debrina Jackson Candy. Uh, so uh, Lewis, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And why don't you just share with us exactly where you are with your business? And that's good to be able to talk to a black business successful. For, an, for a chance, but then you're on the private sector, you don't rely on the public sector, so that could be the difference. But anyway, why don't you just let give our listeners an idea of where Ezels is right now, how many locations you're at, and then we'll go into uh, the RUB program. Okay. Well, thank you, Eddie, for having me on the show today, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and some of our other distinguished guests. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, Jesse Weinberry, we kind of started out together back there in the hood on uh, 23rd and Jefferson in 1984. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, yes, today we are up to 17 locations currently with um, most of them here in the uh, Seattle area. We've got one in Spokane, east of the mountains there, and then we've got one down in uh, the Portland market outside of Washington Square. And uh, we currently um, have, I think, well over 350 employees right now. And we're fortunate that we were able to not just survive, but we were able to thrive during the pandemic, Eddie. And um, we're here today um, largely because of the community support that we've had over the years, and especially in the startup stages of the business. The community just embraced us. I still remember Eddie coming over to Garfield for that first year for the MLK March, back when it was uh, Empire Way. And uh, Eddie was hosting the rally and getting the marches together to kind of help, you know, create opportunities for the Black people there in the Central District when it was, what, probably 87%, uh, better than 80% uh, African-Americans of Black people that lived in that neighborhood. And it's, um, you know, a long ways back uh, when I look back there to see how many of those businesses that started out when we were there that are no longer there. And when I think about that, it makes it even more relevant and important, this initiative that um, we just launched. And it's called the Rudd's Rub Initiative. And uh, I'm sure you guys can relate to this. When we were kids growing up down in East Texas there, the parents, grandparents, all the elders, you know, if you have something hurting, first thing they want to do is rub it. Come here, son, let me rub that for you. And that rub just makes it feels better. You know, the pain just starts to subside with the rubbing of that hand. 
And so with that in mind, you know, we needed a name for this initiative. And I just thought that would be appropriate. RUB, Raising Up Black Businesses. So we just want to bring a lot of RUB into the black community. We want to, you know, again, when I think about all those businesses that were there when we started out, it was businesses on every corner and in the middle of the block. You know, Lloyd's Rockets and Jordans and Miss Helens and Miss Thompson. And, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. And um, the importance of having uh, Black-owned businesses and promoting entrepreneurship has benefits in many ways. And first of all, you know, when there's lots of conversations going on now about closing the wealth gap. And I had a mentor tell me once, you know, um, when you're working by the hour for someone else, you can only make so much and you can only share so much. But owning a business gives you the opportunity to earn more and have more freedom to do more. So promoting entrepreneurship will have many benefits, starting with potentially better education in our community, uh, better access to health care, all these things that um, goes into making our community more vibrant. And so, again, the RUB initiative is a start that came up with uh, an idea when DoorDash, who we partnered with, wanted to do a promotional campaign with these elves. And this was during a time when you know, there was a lot of conversations going on around um, social injustices and inequalities and uh, systemic racism and redlining. And, and due to the George Floyd murder and all of the protests, there's a lot of people now listening with the intent to understand what this is all about. There were a lot of people walking around aware, but they didn't understand. And there were a lot of people that didn't want to have that conversation about the uh, inequities and uh, the systemic racism and the impacts that it's had on the black community. And DoorDash was one of those that was listening and was doing things to help make it better for some of those black owned businesses in the community that didn't have access to capital, didn't get any of the PPP money, didn't get any of the funds that were available that a lot of other businesses got. So when they offered an opportunity to do a promotional campaign with these elves, given the fact that we were doing well, we were thriving in business. I said, rather than you guys do the promotional campaign with us, can we utilize those funds to help out some of the other small businesses in the community that were not as fortunate? And they were not able to get access to capital. And due to no fault of their own, they had to close their doors. And a couple of them come to mind. And one business owner been around 35, 40 years, as long as he's else has been in business. And due to no fault of his own, when the shelter at home ban came about and he had to close his doors, he could not operate his business. Therefore, he couldn't generate income. Now his equipment inside that he has lease payments come and do, he couldn't pay for the lease payment for his equipment that was necessary to keep his business going, nor could he pay for his rent. And, oh, by the way, he earned his living through his business. So when his business is not functioning, he has no income. So we supported him in a way that allowed him to stay in business. There were many examples 
like that in the community where small business owners, black owned businesses didn't have access to any funding. So I shared the story with Carolina DoorDash and asked her again, if we could use those funds to support this initiative. And it started out again as a conversation and an idea and three, four months into the conversation, she was able to get the people within her organization to agree to become what we're calling a charter partner. And Debrina Jackson, again, uh, is doing a great job helping to structure this and uh, create uh, the initiative. And what she calls, you know, we wanna make sure that it's integrity and it's the integral part of it is there. But uh, DoorDash said, sure, we found a physical agent with Tabor 100. They became the physical agent for the funds. Um, DoorDash deposited the funds. And then sharing the story with some of our other corporate partners, like Cisco and PepsiCo and Bar Green Ellison, they all saw the value in supporting this initiative. And they began writing checks. And before long, it began to gain more momentum. And so now we're at a place to where we're accepting applications and um, we're looking forward to giving out 20 grants within the next three or four weeks. And each grant will be worth $2,500 or more. And when I think about you know other small businesses out there and I've been asked this question, um, who are you targeting? Who qualifies? And I think about some of the uh, students at Garfield, when we open up, who now are some of those small business owners that I'm looking at supporting, right? And they may not have employees, but they have a business where they chose to go in business for themselves and they have their kids who have, you know, a sense of pride because my dad and my mom own their own business. And to be able to help them sustain and eventually get through this situation that you know became a very challenging time for them due to the pandemic and the um, outbreak there and the stay at home band and what have you. So uh, when I think about them, I see them today that they were inspired by Ezels and others in the black community to start their own business. And now they're struggling where I use the example of the food truck because it's the easy one that most people can see. The generator breaks down and you're going out on location or the truck owners going out on these locations and there's nowhere to plug in to get power for access. The only thing that makes it work is if they have a generator that works. If they've been out of business for nine months due to the pandemic, earning no income, they can't get a loan from the bank because they don't have cash flow. They can't afford to fix the generator, and then they can't afford to make any more money. Those are the type businesses that we want to help get back online and moving forward with their businesses. So Eddie, I've said a lot, and I'll be quiet and uh, let you come in and ask questions. No, actually, Lewis, uh, that was uh, very uh, educational uh, for me you know, to really, because you put things uh, right where the rubber meets the road, what people have to do that's really in a micro business about how one one thing going wrong, like a generator, 
can just put them completely out of business. But I want to see if uh, Jesse or any other of the uh, members had a question or a comment before you, Lewis, before we transition to the other part of the agenda. Well, I'll, I'll jump in there. Uh, it, 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 it makes me uh, full uh, overflow, overflowing with pride to see to see Lewis uh, uh, and 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 Ezel's uh, uh, grow so so well that they're now giving back. Because uh, this is this is the cycle that a lot of us imagined and worked for when we started Wright Lewis back in 1984. Yes. To not only enable uh, the bi the businesses that were in existence at that time to be successful, but to make it multi generational, so that uh, your generation passes it to another generation. A lot of people, when they hear that, they're thinking like we're talking about family succession. But what Lewis is doing is uh, not just within his own family, but within the larger family of, of, of African-American entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs of color. And so I'm just, I'm just proud to uh, have been there on 23rd and Jefferson uh, in what used to be the 43rd district. Uh, uh, knocking on doors when I was campaigning, and I came to uh, you and and Ezell, who were taking the uh, plywood off of what used to be the Bulldog uh, restaurant yep. across from Garfield, and uh, and I said, "What are you guys getting ready to do? Another? You're going to do another Bulldog?" And they said, "No, man, we're going to sell chicken. <laughs> we 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 ain't selling the cow. We selling the chicken." And uh, and now they're enabling other people to. I mean, they've multiplied. You heard 17 locations all across the state, and now they're enabling uh, their efforts to uh, help others multiply. And uh, as as he as they pointed out, to not just survive but to thrive as we come out of this pandemic. So uh, I'm just proud of you, uh, and uh, uh, I'm sure as others will say on this on this uh, on this show. Uh, tell us what we can do to help you because you're certainly helping a lot of us. Well, thank you for that, uh, Jesse. And yes, I mean, right now we're looking for more partners and we want to add to the pot so we can help more business owners. I mean, that's the one thing that, you know, spreading the word and helping others to understand the importance of what we're doing. And again, it's our way of giving back. And as you say, Jesse, from the beginning, we've had so much community support. I've had to call on Eddie for support at times. Eddie, I need some help here, you know? And uh, Eddie makes a phone call. I've called on Jesse. Jesse makes a phone call. And, you know, we're here. We survived it. And uh, it's the least that we can do is give back and try to help others come along. Well, Lewis, thanks very much. Uh, I do have to play a couple, couple of commercials. So if you guys want to hold on for a minute, then we're going to have another part of the agenda, but Lewis, we can finish up with you as well. So everyone, we go ahead and let the people know who is a pan for the broadcast. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? 
List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seatacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Back on Urban Forum Northwest with Bob Armstead, Jesse Weinberry, Lewis Rudd, Lau Kwa Sim, and Attorney Hawkins, who uh, sits on the bench. I didn't know that until Jesse told me. But anyway, uh, Bob Armstead had a, a question for Lewis Rudd. Uh, yes, as we went to break, uh, Lewis, you stated that you were looking for partners. Yes. Uh, Will you uh, share with us the type of partners that you're looking for? Oh, for sure. And I'll give you examples of, you know, a lot of times people don't truly understand how, you know, many ways that they can contribute to a cause and make a difference, right? So we've got like DoorDash as a charter partner, and I can disclose they donated the first check, $40,000 to the initiative. Then we've got others that have joined the initiative. And then I shared the story with a good friend of mine, Lynn Can, Lynn Simpson. If anyone can, Lynn can. All right. Yeah. So Lynn said, well, Lewis, I want in on this. And I may not be able to write a big check. I said, Lynn, you don't need to write a big check. You got skills. There are small business owners out there that need repairs, right? They need cosmetic work done. Offer up a grant that you'll come in and do $2,500 or $5,000 worth of work. Replace the towel in the kitchen or Lewis, I'm in. So Lynn can, he's one of those, you know, supporters right now of the initiative. He's one of those partners. So we're looking for partners that have, um, we've got a law firm that did the trademark for the um, logo and the design. And they did an in-kind services. So they become a partner, you know. Uh, if there's an electrician out there, just will commit to doing some work in one of these small businesses or have some equipment that they can donate or some time that they can donate. A lot of small business owners, they don't have accountants. If you will do some accounting services, you become a partner. I mean, it's going to take like a village to raise a kid, a community to raise a business. We want a community of partners. 
And the resources come in all shapes, forms, and sizes, not just in dollars. But dollars do help a lot of times to pay the bills. Thank you, Lewis. You're very inspirational, brother, I must say. And uh, we're going to transition to uh, our next part of the agenda, which is uh, the press conference at Equity Now, which Attorney Hawkins, Attorney Weinberry convened this morning. And then we'll talk with Lyle and, and Bob Armistead, and hopefully Bill Dickens, about uh, the moves uh, that's going to be made. Uh, they're like, there's a, a a call with the governor's office, and we'll talk about that a little later. So, uh, uh, Attorney Hawkins or, or Weinberry, the, the, the Hawkins Weinberry uh, uh, law firm, why don't you guys go right ahead? Whoever wants to go first. I'll, I'll yield to the lady from the 32nd Legislative District in that encompasses Shoreline, Snohomish, as well as King Counties. Hello. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. My name's Karama Hawkins Callaway. I am a practicing attorney here in the state of Washington, one of very few uh, Black students in my law school class um, at the UW. Um, I've been practicing law since 1990, uh, sorry, 19, uh, 2008 is when I graduated and I was in a community college when Initiative 200 was passed. Um, that was back in 1998. And um, I am here as the chief legal counsel and steering committee member of Washington Equity Now Alliance. And our goal, our mission is to urge, compel the governor, um, Jay Inslee, to rescind Governor's Directive 9801. That is our mission, and that is what our press conference was about this morning. Um, we reached out to all of the major uh, media networks, um, as well as small ones, blogs, um, local newspapers, local news agencies to spread the message, to make the communities aware of what has happened over the past 23 years. Um, a governor's directive, a um, suggested policy has uh, worked to overrule the law that was instituted after the passage of uh, Initiative 200, now codified um, in the Revised Code of Washington um, as the um, uh, way to implement this anti-affirmative action policy, um, which is not only in our view, in many respects unconstitutional, but it certainly is not legal and not consistent with uh, the language of Initiative 200 as it was presented to the voters back in 1998, uh, nor as it was passed and codified under RCW 496400. Um, and it is also in contradiction to not only uh, Supreme Court law for the state of Washington under the parents involved in community so schools versus Seattle School District number one case, but also uh, Bob Ferguson's attorney general opinion, seven, 2017 number two, which says that affirmative action is not dismantled or banned by virtue of initiative 200. Um, the Parents involved in community schools opinion says the same thing. So we find ourselves in a position where a governor's directive, a rule that misinterprets 
um, a law is put into place, has trickled down from the high, highest levels of government to the lowest levels of government, at which has worked to essentially annihilate um, and render toothless, um, impossible, any type of affirmative action that would be geared toward ensuring diversity and equity in education, in employment, and in contracting with governmental agencies. Now, this is a big deal. It has um, trickled down, again, like I said, from the highest um, levels to the lowest levels, and it is killing our communities financially and otherwise. And it needs to stop, and it needs to stop now. There's no legal basis for um, the law being implemented the way that it is. And that is what Washington Equity Now is working on remedying. And we're trying to remedy it, not tomorrow, not let next legislative session, not next year, um, but now. I'll hand it over to you, Jesse. Well, uh, you've done an excellent job. There's not a lot left, uh, and you you've covered you've covered everything. And and so, uh, as usual, extraordinary job, uh, uh, Attorney uh, Hawkins. Uh, the only thing I can add is that uh, Washington State is a very blue state, but it has a very red record when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And and you've just heard it. Uh, here we have a law that was never intended to kill affirmative action in mass uh, at all. The only the limit to I-200 was to simply prohibit a lesser qualified person or candidate to be elevated over a more qualified person for a seat in college, a job, a public job or a public contract based on race or gender. That's it. The, the Washington State Supreme Court has said that's it. The attorney general has said that's it. But instead, the governor's directive that went out said that you cannot have affirmative action of any kind if it's based at all on race or gender. So that's two extremely different policies. And one was passed by the people. The other was simply signed by one governor. And the policy signed by one governor, although wrong, has been the law of the land for 23 years. Just call it a quarter of a century that we have been held back and the, the best number that I can associate this with is the number that was given to us a couple of years ago by uh, the governor's Office of Minority and Women Business Enterprise. They came forth in public testimony under oath and declared that women, small and, and entrepreneurs of color in Washington state had lost close to $4 billion over the span of time that we have been operating under this wrong law, $4 billion. So you may say, well, what, 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 have, what has WINA done? What has the Washington Equity, Equity Now Alliance done? Number one, we've drafted and submitted as of last April, an executive order enabling the governor to sign and it would immediately, immediately rescind, in other words, terminate, the governor's directive 98-01 that is in effect right now. That paves the way for a real policy of diversity, equity, and inclusion to take root in Washington state. It's a perfect time for that to happen. Washington state is the first state to create an office of equity and have it staffed. No other state 
in America has an office of equity. We're the first. So we have an office that is perfectly uh, in place to implement a new era of diversity, equity, inclusion that unleashes opportunity in terms of our kids being able to get a college education and in, in the cases of many in our community being able to get a lucrative uh, public job of which there are over 300,000 in Washington state and uh, the ultimate to, to be able to, like Lewis Rudd, start your own business, create hundreds if not thousands of jobs by, and compete for what is millions of dollars in contracts. The timing is now, and as uh, Attorney Hawkins said, that our organization is not called Washington Equity Later or Washington Equity Tomorrow. It's called Washington Equity Now because we have just received, as a result of President Biden signing last March, the American Rescue Plan. That was over a trillion dollars, of which $10.2 billion was received in this state and spread out in every county. Yakima County had 49 million. King County had uh, 436 million. Pierce County got 175 million. And it goes on and on and on. Well, you may say, okay, well then, then we don't have anything to worry about if we got $10.2 billion coming. But the downside is that those dollars will be allocated based on the old rules that Attorney Hawkins has shared with you. Our goal is to make sure the correct rules and laws are put in place immediately. So that money, the 10.2 billion will be allocated with diversity, equity, and inclusion. A racial conscious allocation will be the rule of the law. I mean, the rule of the state. We are one of the few states that where money is going and it's being misallocated under a wrongful law. And so we are fighting to make that change and we will be meeting with the governor's office. We've had a series of meetings. Our next meeting actually is, <laughs> as soon as this show is over, we will be going into uh, a meeting with the governor's office. And uh, our choice is now very simple. We're, we're, we're saying to the governor, either sign an executive order and, 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 and let's move forward or let us know that that's not going to happen so we can file uh, legal action in court to make this to make this the reality. The courts are already on our side. The, the, the state Supreme Court would be where we would be taking this. And they've already ruled that I-200 does not uh, kill affirmative action in any way. So I'm highly optimistic that we're in the red zone. But uh, I've never been one to dance uh, in the end zone until I see the score on the board. And so we ask for your prayers and your support. Go to our website, Wa Equity Now. Log on. Tell the governor to sign the executive order, and uh, we will see you uh, hopefully in the light of victory once uh, we have crossed the finish line. Lyle Kwasim, do you have uh, comments? You've been involved with the meetings of Bob Armstead and I. Go right ahead. Um, you know, it is very popular to talk about the pandemic. Uh, and say, let's follow the science. And uh, people who don't follow the science aren't considered serious individuals. Well, I would say, let's follow the legal interpretations that have been laid down time after time after time. Uh, when I-200 was passed, um, the governor's executive order 9801 was uh, issued within weeks. Yes. Each time that we have a contradiction 
through the normal legal processes of I-200, we say, well, let's study. Let's move in this direction. Let's have this group. Let's move in. No, nobody takes a clear, direct line in terms of implementing the administrative procedures as a result of the determination of the court rulings or the court decisions. So when things appear not to go our way, they're enacted immediately, or as uh, Attorney Winesbury said, now. We wanna turn that around and say now that we know that we have a body of, of, of legal opinions, the reasonable person's test would tell, you don't have to be a legal scholar to say that the reasonable person's test would tell you that this is, this is no longer uh, applicable. And why are we continuing to move in this direction? And we have um, the perfect scenario. We have um, a blue uh, legislature, both the House and the Senate. We have a blue Democratic governor. What is the holdup? What, what you know, it, 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 it defies the reasonable person's test for people to say, well, we want to have a listening session. We want to have another study session. I mean, for 23 years, we have been under the thumb of a, a, a governor's executive order and accompanying RCWs and WACs that, 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 are, that, that have been determined by legal processes to be inappropriate. Why would we continue to move in that direction? And what about that direction is necessary for us to study? Uh, I mean, it, it just, it is, it is, uh, and um, so um, uh, it, uh, I, I was um, attorney uh, Callaway when um, I-200 was passed. I was the secretary of the Department of Social and Health Services. At that time, it was the state's largest agency the largest agency, without exception. It is not now, but it was then. Uh, I, I, did, I looked at I-200, I, I heard uh, people discuss I-200, and I went back to uh, my agency and continued to work as if um, I-200 hadn't passed in the way that people had interpreted it. And so we continued to uh, contract, we continued to do all the things that we needed to do. And I said, if I'm wrong, somebody should bring us to court. And I talked to the attorney general at that time. I talked to other people on the governor's cabinet. And uh, so there are two things. One, the governor needs to act. Two, the legislature needs to act. And three, the executive agencies that um, have been uh, uh, directed under 9801 uh, need to act. And um, uh, it, it is it is it is difficult for me not to stutter or resort to other language to explain my anger. Well, I can tell you, um, Mr. Kasim, that we who have worked with equity now um, and in talking to our friends and families and with each other about this, this um, the emotional ties and the emotional scarring from um, what has turned out to be a very racist policy runs deep within all of us. 
um, there has been a lot of suffering that is accompanied by how this law has been implemented. And there are no two ways about that. Um, not only the actual uh, financial ramifications, but just emotionally, um, it is it really is painful because um, I think that it emboldens people with um, racist ideologies to um, treat people um, as if their racist beliefs are accurate. You know, it, it emboldens that type of rhetoric um, and it needs to end um, in all ways, shapes and forms. And I think that you are preaching to the choir when you say the governor needs to act and uh, the agencies that are under this directive need to act. And by the way, I would just also mention that the numbers that um, former representative and attorney Weinberry discussed earlier that 4.2 or um, that $4 billion that was lost in contracting, that was just on the state level. Um, keep in mind that um, all of all levels of government have followed suit when it comes to executive directive 9801. So that $4 billion does not count for losses on the county level. It does not account for losses on the city or municipality level. And so when we say that this runs deep, it runs deep. There are no two ways about that. And um, it is my hope that at the time that we end this discussion with the governor's office, that we are on the way to finally remedying this situation um, and starting the healing process and the recovery process for all BIPOC communities um, that have been harmed by this essentially racist policy and interpretation of Initiative 200. Well, I want to let everybody know that uh, the email I sent out about you being on the program and who we're going to discuss, uh, not only did I send it to the Seattle City Council, the King County Council, but I sent it to uh, 30 members of the House of Representatives and 20 members of the uh, Washington State Senate. Uh, so uh, they knew in advance about this program. Another thing is that this program will repeat Saturday morning, seven to eight. It'll be archived on my website for a year. So uh, they will all know and because the instructions are on the email. So uh, Bob Armstead, do you have a comment or anything at this point? Uh, actually, I, I have several, but I'll, I'll limit it to a couple. Uh, first, I will start with uh, one of Attorney Weinberry's comments uh, regarding the uh, recovery money. Uh, that is all federal money. Uh, so state law, state actions have, have nothing to do with that. Uh, the problem that we have and have had in Washington state is that we have people, regional administrators of federal agencies in the Pacific Northwest that act like I-200 governs the, uh, the expenditure of federal funds. Uh, we have an executive order from President Biden uh, an executive order on equity. Uh, what I think we need to do, I certainly will, 
is to contact the president and tell him that we need for him to enforce the information and the directives that are in that executive order in Washington state. Uh, WALSTAT receives a substantial amount of money from the federal government. The regional administrator for FHWA in the Pacific Northwest acts like he's an employee of WASDOT and does not enforce the federal requirements for receiving that funding. And I could go down the line, education, airports, you name it. Uh, so we need the federal government to start enforcing in Washington state the requirements that go with Washington state receiving federal funding. And that in itself would greatly increase participation in places like the Port of Seattle, um, the Washington State Department of Transportation, the University of Washington, Washington State. And again, you, you could go down the list. Uh, and there was reference earlier to every time that this issue or these issues come up, there's the uh, notion, suggestion, and directive that there be a study. Well, in Washington State, since I-200 passed, there's probably been at least 10 disparity studies, all of which show the same thing that there's disparate treatment in terms of contracting opportunities and actual contract awards uh, in the black community. You have the, the audit that there was a brief reference to uh, conducted by King County that demonstrates that there's disparity in the awarding of contracts to blacks in King County, which is the part of Washington State. You have the Washington State Employers for Equity that are primarily led by the Washington Roundtable and Challenge Seattle that commissioned the state a study by Boston Consulting, which specifically identifies the disparate treatment that is happening to blacks in terms of employment and contracting. The numbers are, are horrendous. Uh, they should be embarrassing even to the people that are responsible for those numbers. But until it appears, until there is uh, a mandatory reason for them, uh, and I'm talking about the state and the county and the cities and municipalities and education and the rest of them, until they are compelled to do something, it will not happen. Uh, I like the fact that we have a blue state, but five of us on this panel that I know were born and raised to a point in the South. And at that point, they were all blue. So being <laughs> blue does not necessarily mean that we're going to get equal treatment. We have to do what we have to do to require that. Bob, that's a very good point. I do want to say that when you start talking about state DOT, 
Uh, Congresswoman Marilyn Strickland is on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and a good friend of mine by the name of uh, Congressman Hank Johnson from Georgia is also on that committee, working closely with Marilyn Strickland. So he has his eyes on the issues up here as well. And uh, one of the things I concur and agree with both attorneys that uh, we have uh, also the documentation already to prove discrimination to go to the Justice Department, Civil Rights Division, to Christine Clark and say, hey, look at this. We also have, Bob and I have a contact in, in USDOT. They can also put that same information in front of Secretary Buttigieg. So, uh, but uh, I want to see Lyle, do you have a comment or anyone else has, has a comment or question? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Attorneys? Civil rights complaint. Yeah, I would just uh, echo what Bob has pointed out, uh, except I'm, I'm going to quote uh, Frederick Douglass, <laughs> who said it a long time ago during the Civil War. He said, power concedes nothing without a demand, except he added a sentence. He said, it, ha it never has <laughs> and it never will. And so that's where we are right now. It's, it's up to us to make the demands to the powerful and the most powerful elected officials statewide, at least in this state, is Governor Jay Inslee. And it's our duty. We are duty bound for the generations that enabled us to, to make those demands, this demand to Governor Jay Inslee, either, either, either sign uh, an executive order to correct this wrong or uh, uh, let us know you're not going to so so we can go get a judge sign it because i'm sure there's at least nine justices on the washington state supreme court who ruled all nine ruled that i-200 was limited only to uh somebody who's a lesser qualified being elevated over somebody who's and, more, and, more qualified. and jesse and jesse i don't have a uh i don't think i'll be in the meeting with you after this meeting i didn't have an invitation to it but i don't need one but just let those folks know that that the black collective um, in Pierce County are a hundred percent behind your efforts. Uh, so you can, I, I actually thought you were going to be there because it's, I looked through my emails just a second ago. I don't, I don't have one uh, from look Rochelle that, that, that says that. So look, look again in in about two minutes. Okay. <laughs> well, well you can you can you can forward me the 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 the, the link. But don't tell don't tell everybody what I'm doing now, but look again okay. in two minutes. Oh, oh yeah, okay. that's all right. He had to forward it to me too, Lyles. It's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Rochelle, Rochelle and I had a very lengthy conversation and I really just had to let her know that we could not wait another year. And I thought that's that the thing that, that Lisa was circulating for OMWBE insulted my intelligence uh here we are with like bob said 10 disparity studies i'll say the same thing blacks ain't getting nothing and then you're gonna, you're gonna wait me wait another year after 23 years i said you have a job but a lot of black folks don't have a job some people who are advocating for the governor they have appointed positions in the government and they have contracts and money from the governor but we don't okay most black folks don't so uh no, no. So I told her I wasn't going to be on the call, but now that we've had this conversation, I, yeah, I'm ready to get busy. Bobby, on the call? Uh, yes, I am. And, and I'd like to add to what Jesse said about filing suit. 
But Jesse, there, there are processes in place that we can utilize in addition to that. Uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation, the U.S. Department of Education, and I can go, all go down the list, are required as a procedure in allocating and awarding funds to states and other entities to ensure that they're in compliance with Title VI and Title IX. And if they are not, they already have the power to withhold funding. Well, nothing makes things move uh, as quick as, uh, as a lawsuit. So I'm not saying let's do one over the other. I'll, I'll go ahead and quote Deion Saunders in his old uh, Domino's Pizza commercial where Jerry Jones asked him, uh, do you want uh, pizza? Do you want uh, uh, pepperoni or cheese? And Dion said both, boss. <laughs> so I'm saying <laughs> let's let's, let's yeah. use both, boss. Every 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 tool in our in our toolbox. It's time now to pull it out and start and start building. Yeah, and I think we have to keep uh, in total like, agreement. Yeah, and like, that's one of the reasons why I sent out up to 30 members of the Washington State House. This uh, announced this email about this conversation, as well as the 20 members of the Senate, uh, so that they'll know in addition to people in the governor's office. But the other thing I want to say is that this is already in Washington, D.C. Jesse's former colleague, when he was in the state legislature with now Congressman Bobby Scott, who is the chair of the House Education and Labor Committee, who all the agencies Bob just talked about, they all report to Chairman Bobby Scott. And Bobby Scott some shared some Congressman Scott has shared information with Jesse already about the various federal agencies that we could tap into in addition to everything else that's going on. So Jesse, you want to elaborate on that conversation? Uh, the uh, Congressman Congressman Scott is a friend of Washington State, no question, and he has uh, paved the way for us to meet with the Office of. Uh, of contract, federal contract compliance. And I think that's one of the entities that Bob was referring to. And what they wanna know, and to your point, I, I mentioned that King County was getting 436 million of the American Rescue Plan. I think I said Pierce received 175 million. What they want to uh, find out is whether those counties and ultimately cities have affirmative action plans. Now, you, we all know they don't because they've been going by the governor's directive of 9801 that says they don't have to. And so it's it, it may end up slowing down or stopping those funds until they put get, get their house in order and comply with the federal law. Okay, you guys, I'm, I'm out of time. I want to thank Bob Armstead, Jesse Weinberry, Attorney Hawkins, Callaway, Lewis Rudd, and Lyle Kwasim. But uh, our time is up, so uh, I'll be on the next Zoom call. Jesse, if you send me the information. It's coming. And we need to call Kristen Clark, the Assistant uh, Attorney General over the Civil Rights Division. I bet if she saw those disparity studies, she'd be out here in two minutes. So thank you all very much. All right, Eric, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all. 
especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Make it a great day. Keep your dial on Alternative Talk 1150. Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest. I uh, want to thank Hayward Evans for doing an outstanding job on the MLK Commemoration Committee's August 28th event that saw some of our community members receive awards. I also want to give a shout out, uh, condolence to the families of Dr. Thad Spratlin and my long-term sister warrior lady. We battled toe-to-toe -to -toe against a whole bunch of injustice in Seattle, and that'd be uh, Ms. Vivian Caver. I uh, also want to thank uh, my guest today on the program. I want to thank uh, the City of Seattle's Purchasing and Construction Services uh, Department with Liz Alzier, uh, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, award-winning Mian Rice, uh, then I also want to thank uh, John Tay Robinson and Leslie Jones, Sound Transit, uh, Leslie's Chief of Labor, John Tay is the Civil Rights Chair. Uh, Stephanie Ogle does our website. My friends out at SeaTac, uh, Concourse and Sessions, Dave Pukahara, SeaTac uh, Bar Group, LO, uh, LLC with Jerry Whitsitt, Rod O'Neill. Uh, be looking out for uh, the activities that you heard discussed today. Uh, call your state representative, your state senator, call your member of Congress, call Maria Cantwell, Senator Cantwell, Senator Murray, and demand that we have justice for uh, businesses and other opportunities for people who have been here 400 years. I'm talking about African descendants of the United States enslaved. And yes, I'm still working with members of the Congressional Black Caucus to have a federal designation for the people who have been here for 400 years uh, 254 years for free. So you guys want something for nothing. Well, who's going to pay me for my first, my people's first 254 years of shadow slavery. Uh, so anyway, fairness and equity should be available to all U.S. citizens. I'm not against anyone else, but i tell you one thing. I'm for us. It's been here 400 years working for free or for very little. So it's been Eddie Wright with another edition of Urban Forum Northwest. Talk to you again next week.